The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. If you would please open to Exodus chapter 19, and I want to open our time with some times in my life where I think I had some sense for some of what we're going to read in this passage. In 1980, I faintly remember exiting church, and Mount St. Helens had erupted over the state of Washington where we were, and you've seen the pictures of those billowing clouds of the fiery ash and the smoke as it was rising on the skyline. I also remember vividly the morning of September 11, 2001, hearing the reports of what was happening in the New York skyline, and I got to work and I turned on the computer and I saw this picture of this dark, thick cloud of smoke over the city, and it it hit me when I saw the visual of that. What a massive thing that was. I remember another time when an earthquake hit in California one morning and it it shook me to my core, to my soul. I literally thought that moment I was going to meet my maker and that I wasn't ready. And the aftershocks, aftershocks after that even continued to impact me. I remember a time in the Philippines. We were shaken by a great earthquake and my sister Lisa, who's here, and I, we ran outside and And I remember seeing in the the yard the ground buckling, and it was like there was a speed bump in the yard that was moving across the yard. I've never seen anything like that. I remember some near-death experiences that that made me tremble, and even if I think about them enough, it, it still makes me tremble. One of the most terrifying events was when there was a thunder and lightning strike just about from where we were to the start of that parking lot as a little guy. Exodus 19 has a lot of those kind of things and more, and it's a wake-up call. It's one of those events that was to jar them, that they were to, as they would think about it later, still impact them and still cause them to tremble. If you would give your attention and reverence to God's holy word, I want to begin reading in Exodus 19 and verse 16. Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up, 
And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We'll stop there. And we'll take our time in the weeks ahead to look at these Ten Commandments. But before we study the commandments, we need to study the commander who's giving the commandments. Because before God says, you shall or you shall not, God first says, I am. That's where we need to start. God is impressing upon them in chapter 19 who he is, and then in chapter 20 and following, what man must do. And that's really the, the point of this whole section here. The, the main point is God is showing who he is, and then he is showing in light of that what man must do, who God is in his holiness, and what man must do in response. Man must have a high view of God and, and God's word. We'll see the law later in chapter 20 through 23, but today in chapter 19, we see the lawgiver. And he's revealed here in blazing holiness. But before wisdom for living, God's people need the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. In the 1530s, John Calvin began his institutes of the Christian religion with this line True and sound wisdom consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. That's where it starts, knowing God, knowing ourselves. Hence, he says, that dread and wonder with which Scripture commonly represents the saints as stricken and overcome whenever they felt the presence of God. And he says, man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. Close quote. I think that's exactly right. We compare ourselves to others. We think we're doing pretty good when we compare ourselves to God's majesty. That high view of God means a low view of us. And that's what Exodus 19 did for Israel and does for us. It's to bring to the knees and it's to burn away all else before God. I, I was convicted afresh and, and I needed this to burn away my sin. Thinking about my impurity, my impatience, my irritability, and that's all just to this weekend. How irreverent I can be, even thinking of the great things of God. This is a passage that's going to show us and remind us, and, and I need this as much as anyone, to know that God is a consuming fire. That God is speaking and that God is extending grace. 
And so that's where we're going here. God is a consuming fire. God is speaking his word. And then God is extending grace. Exodus 19 to 20 is a world changer. I mean, this literally altered ancient civilization, and it continues to impact the modern world. It's been said that this event is a historical divine encounter initiated by God that forever influences the rest of Israel's history, and it influenced Israel's theology nearly as much as the Exodus event. So the Exodus event coming out of Egypt was huge, but next to that is this event at Mount Sinai here. The majestic and awesome displays of lightning and thunder and smoke and fire and trumpet sounds and the quaking of Mount Sinai were to provoke the sensory perceptions of God's people to pay attention. He's making himself known in this way so that God's people would fear him. That's what he's doing. And that takes us to our first point and our response that goes along with that. God is a consuming fire. We should fear God is a consuming fire, and so we should fear. In the end of verse 16, the people fear at this traumatic scene. It's as if volcanic lava is going to come out and consume them. Verse 17, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Your Bible might say violently. It's as if God's going to erupt here. And that language, smoke of a kiln, is used in only one other place in Scripture. That language is used at Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rained down his fiery wrath upon that city and upon the sinners. And as they're consumed there, there's this smoke rising up like a kiln. I was just reading last night and this morning Jonathan Edwards' sermon that he preached this weekend, 282 years ago in Northampton, that was used in, in the Great Awakening, the most famous sermon in American history. And he, he was talking about images like that from Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the fact that God is a consuming fire and that it's only by the grace of God and that, that we have not yet fallen to that fire, that we have not been consumed by this fire at any time. And he gave all kinds of images about that. And then he called upon people to flee to Christ and not presume upon God's grace, but to, to come to Christ, to run to Christ, to flee from the wrath to come, to not look back. He's drawing on that very image, that language that's used here and, and in Genesis. God is holy. And we need, a, we need to be awakened to that again. We need another great awakening of the Lord on our land to the fact that God is a consuming fire. That's not the dominant image that our world has of God, but it's a dominant image in, in Scripture. He's holy and he is unapproachable by sinners on their own. And that's not just God the Father in the Old Testament. Here's what it says of God the Son in the New Testament. He is, this First Timothy 6, King of kings and Lord of lords who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Jesus right now is in a place of unapproachable light and glory, the place where the eyes of sinful man, that glory they cannot see. Remember in Isaiah 6, it was read earlier, even the perfect angels 
before the Lord sitting on the throne high and exalted and his glory is filling the temple and it's shaking and all of that. The, the perfect angels have to cover their faces as they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the Lord on the throne. And we should all say with Isaiah, who am I? Woe is me. I'm unclean. The people around me are unclean. We're unworthy. I'm undone. We should say if we really see that. And in verse 21, Moses warns the people, if they even try to look, he says, don't let them try to break through and try to look, because they're going to be tempted to try to look. But he says they'll perish if they look at my holy presence. Verse 21 and then verse 22, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. That's the same verb used of Uzzah. If you remember the story, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and it begins to totter and Uzzah reaches out and he touches the Ark and he is instantly, this is the word, the Lord broke out against him and he instantly dies because that is the, the holy, untouchable place of God's presence there, that's Second Samuel chapter 6. And in Moses' lifetime, some would later offer strange fire in the holy place, and God's fire comes down and instantly consumes them. And this is all leading to when God's going to lay out his tabernacle. He's, he's gonna, his presence is, gonna, is now coming down to the mountain, and it's going to come down to where the tabernacle is, but he's going to lay out how his worship is to be done, and to enter near his presence, there had to be authorized burnt offerings. There had to be fire-consuming life of a substitute. And in the holy place, there was, there was this burning fire representing God's continual consuming fire. The, the, the menorahs, the candles, had to be continually lit by the priests to, to symbolize and to show God is always and continually this way. And in the most holy place, His burning glory and the Shekinah was, was there. And, and above it is later going to be described, there's this thick, dark cloud, and it goes all the way up to heaven. So all around, they can see this cloud. This cloud that had come down on Sinai now is, is going to be this, this pillar of cloud that they'd seen through the Red Sea and all of that. That pillar is going to be over his glory in the ark, in the holy place, for all of them to see all the time. I mean, can you just imagine that, going and seeing this cloud? But the, only the high priest could go into the holy of holies one day a year, where that glory of God in, in its fullness was. But he could die in there if he was not careful. And so later there's traditions about them even having ropes and bells so they could hear if the if the guy died so they could pull him out. And all these things are vividly and visually showing that God is a consuming fire that we should fear. And look at verse 24. And the Lord said to him, this is to Moses, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. When it mentions Aaron and the priests, it, it doesn't really give a comment on exactly who these were. That may mean 
the Levites, or it may be talking about Aaron and his sons. They're going to eat before God in chapter 24, or some think maybe those who had been set apart, consecrated in, in chapter 12 and, and 13 at the time of the, of the Passover. But when did God choose Aaron and his sons or his tribe of Levi? It actually doesn't say here. It doesn't comment. But 1 Samuel 2 gives this explanation that while Israel was still in Egypt, God revealed that he chose Aaron to be the father of the priests out of all of the tribes. And in Exodus 2, when it introduces Moses, who's the brother of Aaron, it it highlights that both their parents were of the tribe of Levi. And this is important. And in Exodus 4, when Moses is in the wilderness and Aaron is coming, God says, I'm sending to you Aaron the Levite. And he's going to help speak before the king. And so it seems like even then that this is developing and if, if you remember last time, we talked about how Israel as a nation was to be a, a kingdom of priests in a general sense. But there's a special sense where only the tribe of Levi, as God comes down and has established the ta- tabernacle, there were boundaries that only they could go to, and then only the sons of Aaron could be in the, the holy place, and only the high priest in the holy of holies. And, and Aaron is coming here really is is this is all going to be established in these chapters. But even the priests, even those that are consecrated and descended from Aaron, they can die by God's fire if they're not careful. Nadab and Abihu, the two sons of Aaron, are going to die and be consumed by fire later for not worshiping God rightly and reverently. Here's what Deuteronomy says, commenting on this event at Sinai. It says, Your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then Deuteronomy 5 is talking about when God's voice and fire came down at Sinai, and it it made them fear and cry out. Here's what it says. They cried out, why should we die? This is what Israel was crying. Why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. And God tells Moses, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. This is God's commentary on on that. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it may go well with them. God says they're right in what they said. They're right to see that God is a consuming fire who they could and should die before based on their sinfulness, and that wasn't just for then. God says this is the heart they always needed to have, that they would fear and obey God. Oh, that they had this heart always, God says of his people. He says this is right. It's going to go well with those who rightly fear God. That becomes one of the themes of Scripture, the fear of the Lord and all the blessings that that brings. And let me read it from the New Testament. Again, just so we don't think this is, it's different in the New Testament. Hebrews ten twenty six. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, so we know the truth, but we just keep going on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. There's those who turn away from 
from the Christian faith that they know and they treat God lightly and they, they just deliberately, high-handedly continue to, to sin. There is a fire. And he says in verse 30, For we know of him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's the New Testament. That's Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. And then Hebrews 12 talks about Sinai. This is God's New Testament commentary on this scene at Sinai. Verse 28 calls New Testament Christians to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And then it says this, for our God is a consuming fire. Not was a consuming fire, is a consuming fire. And that's number one. That takes us to number two, though. God is speaking his word. We should tremble. Earlier, Moses, remember when God came down at the burning bush, he speaks from the fire. He takes off his sandals because it's holy ground, and it says he trembled when he realized who he was speaking to. That was like a small version. This is much bigger now. This is for all God's people now. The Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs wrote, Mountains shook and trembled when the law of God was given, and God expects that the hearts of sinners should tremble when they hear the law of God at any time. Look at the end of verse 16. The end of the verse says, All the people in the camp trembled. And then the end of verse 18 says, The whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people. You get a sense for how important God's message is. How reverent we need to be when God's word goes forth. This is, this is serious. Matthew Henry said this, Never was there such a sermon preached, before nor since, as this which was here preached. For the preacher was God himself. The pulpit was Mount Sinai. The introductions to the service were thunders and lightning. The congregation was called together by the sound of a trumpet. Moses brought the hearers to the place of meeting as God's minister who is spoken to, to command silence and to keep the congregation in order. And God would say later through the prophet Jeremiah, do you not fear me? Do you not tremble before me? Moses trembled. And Hebrews twelve twenty one adds this, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And then verse 25 of Hebrews 12 says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. When you read Revelation, especially chapter 6 through 11, there's a lot of things like what we're reading here in Exodus. There's a lot of earthquakes. There's really a universe shake. All creation trembles. There, The heavenly bodies are shaken. The earthly mountains are all removed. And sinners are terrified at the voice 
from him. And the voice comes from heaven again, fear God and give him glory. We, we heard at the start of the service, tremble before him all the earth. First sermon I ever preached as a pastor here at this church was on Isaiah 66, verse 2, where God says, to this one I will look. This is the one type of person that God looks to in a special way with favor. This is the one to whom I will look, God says. Him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That's who God's looking to. The humble, repentant, trembler at his word. And this was my proposition then and now. The great and pressing need of the hour is to have a high view of God and a high view of God's word. And then the response of that should be a low view of self. That we would be humble and that we would tremble at his word. Like Isaiah who saw the thresholds shake in that vision. The foundations tremble in Isaiah 6 or Daniel Here is God's word and says this, while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Jeremiah said, all my bones tremble because of the Lord and because of his holy words. And David said in the psalm, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your law. Sounds like Exodus 19. Maybe even thinking of that as he says that. Think of in the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus who hears the word of the Lord. He had studied the the written word of their Jewish scriptures his whole life, but now he hears the word of the Lord from heaven, and he tremblingly asks, what must I do? That's in Acts chapter 9. And that's what godly fear and trembling should lead us to do, to see what's wrong in the course of our life and to make it right, to obedience with reverence to whatever God Speaks. Paul was saved. Paul was renamed Paul from Saul of Tarsus. But even as he was a veteran missionary going around giving Christ's word, here's how he described his mission to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I was with you in much fear and trembling as he's giving the word of Christ and him crucified so that they would not Put confidence in man, but in the power of God. To this one, God looks. To the humble, the contrite, who trembles at my word. This is convicting and causes me to tremble to some degree even to say this, but to know I don't tremble enough. I am not humble enough or contrite enough. Trembling at God's word enough. We need his help. We need to recognize that. We need to Repent, ask him to give us more of a reverence for him and his word. There's a missionary named Adoniram Judson in the 1800s, 1819, was in what's called Burma today. He baptized his first convert, I think his name was Mong Tai. And his wife, Anne Hasseltine, wrote of the conversion of this native man. I was reading with him Christ's Sermon on the Mount. He was deeply impressed and unusually solemn. These words, and she's she's translating from their language, but he said, these words take hold of my liver. They make me tremble. Has the word of Christ taken hold of you? Have you ever felt 
grabbed inwardly. Some of us need to have our liver, liver shaken. If you never tremble at God's word, you're not humble. You're not contrite. Do we take God's word for granted? Do we treat God's word lightly? I have to confess, I do at times. May we not take it for granted. May it take a hold of us. James 2 says, even the demons believe God and tremble. Even the demons tremble as they believe in God. If our belief never makes us tremble, what does that say of our belief? James calls that out. We should tremble at our sin. We should fear hearing God's word casually and indifferently, superficially. And so if if you lack seriousness and reverence, come in repentance. Let this wake you. Let this shake you. This is a prayer I was looking at that would help apply this. This is what I need to pray. This is what we need to pray. Psalm 119.38, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Psalm 119.38 or verse 161, my heart stands in awe of your words. One of the versions says, my heart trembles at your word. Isaiah 66.5 says, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at my word. We all sin here, but the good news is we can come to the Lord. We can come to the Lord Jesus like that woman in Mark chapter 5. It says she came trembling, but she came to the Lord and she was trembling and Jesus stops everything that he's doing and he commends her publicly for her faith as she comes trembling to him. Isn't that good news to know we can come to the Lord trembling and he will commend us and receive us? Jesus, though also said this to his followers, take care how you hear. He lovingly receives those who come, but he also says we need to be very careful how we hear. We need to think about how we think about and hear God's word. Take care how we listen. I think for, for us, even practically, coming here in the Lord's day, we need to be in prayer. Were you in prayer even before today or this morning for your heart? Do you ever pray for you to <clears throat> hear God's word? Or as you open his word in the morning, do you pray, God, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in, in your law? Are we praying for God's help? I know I'm not enough. But I know God is impressing on Israel. They need to prepare before they come to, to meet God. And, and our family learned early on, even with kids, it, it takes preparation the night before for, for Sunday morning. It begins Saturday night. You've got to be prepared. There, there's a lot of things that can unfold on Sunday morning. A lot of things even to confess on the, on the way to church. We, we lived way out in Bucks Bar Road for a while, about 35 minutes out, and this is when we had an early 8.15 service, and there were a lot of times just getting everyone out on time, and I was, you know, giving the announcements, so I kind of needed to be there on time, and there's just a lot that can just unfold on Sunday morning to even be confessing on the way. But what a gracious Lord that we can come to Him, and, and this fear of the Lord is 
is something that there's joy associated with Scripture that it leads to. Here's what Jeremiah Burroughs says, When you come to sermons to hear the Word of God, O labor to keep your hearts in a constant trembling frame, and the Word that you now tremble at will comfort your heart. It will give joy to your heart. There's a joy in fearing God. I think some of the ladies are doing a study by Jerry Bridges, the joy of fearing God. That's a great study to fill out what this fear looks like. But this godly fear isn't just running away, being scared and terrified. There's a godly fear that actually falls forward. It falls forward in faith to the God who lifts worshipers up by his Grace. It's not the fear that runs away. It's a fear that is reverent, but it, it falls towards God. It, it looks to God. It comes to God. And that takes us to our, our last observation. God is extending grace so that we should worship, we, so that we could worship and that we should worship. Verse 24, notice, And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. Moses had reminded him, you, you told us not to touch the mountain, not to come close, but God is, is graciously, he's extending grace by he's allowing first a mediator, Moses, to come up, and now he's allowing the one who will be the high priest, Aaron, to come up for the people. So they have a representative. And this God who is a consuming fire is actually coming in grace. We can't miss this. He is graciously providing a way for Israel, this sinful nation. He's providing a way for them to worship and not die. Sinners need a mediator. They need someone to to bring them to God and to speak to them for God. And this is a, a picture and preview of the new covenant mediator and high priest we have, which is one and the same, which is Christ. But we need a mediator. We need a high priest And this is for all the people in verse 17. All the people are coming to meet God. They're all brought to the mountain, but they can't come any further. They need someone else to go between. They need someone else who can ascend the holy hill. One of the Psalms says, who can ascend the holy hill? Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Only one who is blameless, the the one who has clean hands and and a pure heart. If they approach on their own, if they approach in their sinfulness, they're dead. But listen to this. After Deuteronomy 4 says, God is a consuming fire, it goes on. Listen to this. This is what these same people heard in Deuteronomy 4. Your God is a merciful God. Ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing of this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? I mean, has there ever been anything like this that a God who would come in this way and this fire would speak and then the people would be alive? Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words, the next verse says, because he loved Israel. And Deuteronomy 4 asked in light of that, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? What a thing. that God has come, he's spoken from the fire and he's let us live. There's no other people that have a God like this who is so merciful and who comes to us and has come so near to us. Psalm 211 says this, Worship the Lord 
with reverence and rejoice with trembling. So that trembling doesn't go away, but there's a rejoicing added to it, to rejoice with trembling. We rejoice that this God we fear has come so near. That voice from heaven that makes men and mountains tremble, that same voice makes his chosen people, calls them to be his people. He speaks from that fire that consumes sinners, and from that fire he is calling sinners to salvation. He's not destroying them. He's disciplining his people as his loved children. The wages deserved for sin is death, but this is a word of undeserved life. So we should worship. What wondrous love. What grace is mine. What a great, unheard of, merciful God we have. Here's what Al Mohler imagines. A modern Christian asking an ancient Jew, What did you get out of worship today? Some of you have heard this before. The Israelite might reply, I'm just glad I got out of worship alive today. <clears throat> the American says, no, no. Yeah, I mean, what did the worship do for you? Did you like the presentation? Did you like the instruments, the sights and sounds? Was it to your liking? The Israelite would say, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about that, but I, I couldn't stand the trumpet. Uh, I mean, the, the volume was just overwhelming with all of the thundering. I wasn't comfortable at all, but it, you know, it was dark. It was hard to see, but I'm just praising the Lord. I got to worship, and I got out alive. That's what I got out of worship. I got out. And you see how this is so different than our consumer-driven seeker-friendly worship, I I use that word lightly, models that try to make the church a place where people would never be bored, making worship casual, light, and entertaining. But you see, when people in the Bible really met the God of the Bible, they were never bored. What people need to know is the weight of meeting God. And biblical worship is not about you not about how you feel. It's, it's not about what pleases you. It's about God. It's how you fear God. It's what pleases Him. It's not about your songs. It's about our Savior who we sing to. It's, it's not about liking the musical style or beat. It's, it's praising God that you still have a heartbeat after you worshiped Him. There's no concert with a fog machine that can compete to this scene here. God's lightning and smoke, there's no cheap substitute for that that can replace the worship of the real holy God who is extending grace. And some of Moses' readers' ears might have perked up and they might have been listening for grace when they read verse 15 where it mentions the third day. Because Moses has written about the third day before in Genesis 22. Remember that scene where Abraham goes up on the mountain with his son it's, an, it's another mount scene. He's with Isaac there. And it says, on the third day, there was grace extended. If you know that story, a ram was provided as a substitute. On the third day, and later readers of the Bible would come to know a greater grace on another mount, the Mount of Calvary, where Jesus died as a substitute On that mount, God did not spare his own son. He gave his only son who died on the mount there in the place of sinners. The Lord provided the lamb. 
And on the third day, he rose to meet his people. And on that third day, if you remember, there was another earthquake. That third day, there was much fear and trembling. And there were these women at the empty tomb who were models of how we should worship Christ. As they fell at his feet, they were astonished. They were trembling, but they worshiped him and they clung to him. This is a contrast. There's contrast in the New Covenant. In in the Old Testament, Israel was told, don't touch. But the risen Lord comes to Thomas and he says, basically, touch. Touch and see. Come close to me. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. That's a huge statement for someone who had grown up reading Exodus to say to Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are those who have not even seen or don't have to touch and who believe. But Jesus is God. Jesus brings us close without dying because he dies for us. We still deserve to die, but he dies for us. And on the third day, and it was the third month, Exodus 19, 1, says they came to Sinai on the third month after they left Egypt to the day. There's another calendar note there. The ESV Study Bible says this coincides with the Feast of Weeks. That's the day that the Jews celebrated the giving of the law. They tracked it from the time of Passover to to this time with the calendar notes that have been there in Exodus. So 50 days after Passover, which was the day that Israel left Egypt, the Jews celebrated this Feast of Weeks or, or Sukkoth, or it was later called Pentecost, using the Greek language penta for 50, so 50 days after their redemption in New Testament times. So think about this. In Exodus 19, God's fire came down, and it came down over a mount. But then 1,500 years later, on the anniversary of that very day, God's fire again comes down. But, But this time, what was once a big flame at Sinai now divides over every believer there in the upper room, 120 of them. And his presence that in the past, if they had seen that, they would have feared and would have consumed them. That presence of God now is, is actually coming inside them. This is the Holy Spirit. And his, his new covenant ministry is even greater than anything that, that Israel celebrated. Who is a God like this? Who, what nation has a God so near? There, there's, there's an even nearer way that we know the Lord in the new covenant. And that Holy Spirit comes inside of us and is still a consuming fire. But now for believers, it's, it's burning away our sin instead of burning sinners to death. And there's a difference also in the Old Testament. God is warning believers not to come close. The whole tabernacle and everything is set up to to keep people away and to not let certain people come close. But in the New Testament, he comes close to us. And he calls all of his people to come close to him. As he died on the cross, that veil was torn open, symbolizing the the access that we now have through him. The, The one who still dwells in unapproachable light has approached us. He's come to us through Christ. Only a a holy God could do that. Only in Christ, that's our only boast and hope. And God's Holy Spirit now, if you're a believer, dwells in us permanently. So turn to Hebrews 12. And we need to end with this. 
Because God became flesh and dwelt among us, he now dwells in us as believers. But while you're turning there, let me read what I prayed from earlier. Revelation 4, I was in the Spirit, and behold, flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and burning fire. And that's the the Holy Spirit. John explains, we've got these holy angels saying, holy, holy, holy. But the scene goes on to say there's no one worthy to approach the unapproachable throne. There's no one in heaven, on earth, under the earth, man or woman or angel. No one is worthy. And John begins to weep, but then he's told, don't weep. Look, behold the lion. And he looks and he sees the lamb who has been slain. And he is worthy. He is the only one worthy. He can approach that very holy, holy, holy place of God. And as he does, there's innumerable angels worshiping with a loud voice. This is what they're saying. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That's what we're supposed to do. We should worship. We're already citizens of heaven by grace, Paul talks about. We should begin to worship like it now. Hebrews twelve eighteen is where we'll close. He says, You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire. He's talking about this scene in Exodus. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. He says, That's not what you're, you've come to. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain at Sinai, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But, he's speaking now to believers, but you have come to Mount Sinai. And, I'm sorry, Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled to heaven, and to God. You've actually come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, who is the mediator of a new covenant. Do you understand? Old Testament Israel couldn't touch what New Testament believers have, which is every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Philip Graham Riken says this, One mountain, Sinai, was dark and stormy. The other, Zion, is a city of bright and shining joy. Zion is the place of grace. One mountain was a place of fear and danger. The other is a place of peace and safety in the prophets. On one mountain, the angels blazed with fire and blasted with noise. On the other, they form a welcoming party for a celebration. That first mountain was designed to keep people away. This last mountain is designed to draw them close. I love that. And so John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, this is what he was amazed by. He says, let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. Here they trusted him before us. Now their praises fill the sky. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us in his blood. He has brought us near to God. So verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful 
for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is, say it with me, a consuming fire. We should fear. God is speaking. We should tremble at his word. Verse 25 says, don't refuse him who is speaking. Remember, God is extending grace. We should worship. We can come confidently, Hebrews says, but not casually. Let's pray. Our great and gracious God, our merciful God, who is like you, O oh God, in your abounding covenant love, Lord, I pray that you would help us even now to, to think much of you and make much of you as we sing and worship to you, but also, Lord, help us as we go from here, as we interact with our families, Lord, as the rubber meets the road in relationships and people we work with, people we struggle with, Lord, help We ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would burn away more and more of our sin and help us to experience the joy that comes in fearing and knowing you. We pray this for Christ's sake.